welcome back to another episode of Watch Once Never Again, the podcast where we look at disturbing movies across genres. I'm your co-host, Mary Beth. I am Dax. Hello, Dax. Hello. And <laughs> this week, we are moving a documentary called Dear Zachary, A Letter from... This long-ass title. Fuck. I'm just going to say Dear Zachary. <laughs> <laughs> a letter to a son about his father. Talking about the documentary, Dear Zachary, a letter... You know what? I need to pull How it many critics does it take to say one title? <laughs> if, your type, if your title is longer than, like, three words, I forget it. Like, what is this, a Fall Out Boy song? Yeah. <laughs> okay. This week, we are talking about the deeply upsetting documentary, Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father, directed by Kurt Kenny. It was released in 2008, and it is a absolutely devastating documentary about the death of Dr. Andrew Bagby, the woman who killed him, and his sweet little son who was born after his death, and the grandparents who tried to get custody of Zachary, and then... A mess. A mess. So, I think you should keep in that entire part where you try to figure out what the hell the title is. <laughs> that was just pure gold. Thank you. Oh, it brought me joy. Unlike this movie. Unlike this movie. Okay, so why is this movie so disturbing, Dax? I think that it's just, like one of the most upsetting movies. Like, I think that's why it disturbs people so much because they're not expecting to be that sad. Yeah. It's just really sad. It is really sad. And it out the gate, this movie is very upfront about how sad it is going to be. So, you know, if you start it and then the first 10 minutes you're too upset, then turn it off. But this is just, it's a, it's a nonstop emotional roller coaster. That is an unflinching portrait of grief in multiple places. So that is probably why it is so disturbing and upsetting. People definitely don't want to like face grief. Yeah, like, and also there is child death in it. So that spoiler probably, alert. Well, <laughs> there's child death. It's like <laughs> if you don't want to hear about it, please turn off this episode and never watch Dear Zachary. <laughs> For real. For real. So, okay, Dax, when was the first time you saw this movie? I saw it quite a few years ago. I remember watching it because Demi Lovato tweeted about it. Wow. Yes. And I I want to say it was around 2010. Okay. And then I never watched it again until, like, last week when okay. I was preparing for this episode. Yeah, I actually think I also watched it in 2010. Or, like, in, I was in high school. You said there was, like, a weird story. Well, it's not even a weird. It's just kind of funny. So the first time I saw this, I, the first time I saw this, I was in high school and I had this little craft table where I would make crafts and I would have my laptop open and I would watch weird shit because I was in high school and I thought, you know, I want to watch all the weird shit that no one else is watching. And so I had heard of Dear Zachary and... (laughs) I w- everyone called me that though. Like I was so into being a hipster in high school. It was embarrassing. Um, oh no, I was kidding. <laughs> no, I wore a lot of like very brightly colored <laughs> pants and like slouchy beanies and like cut holes in my pants and made them look like that faces. Scene. I know it, it, 
it was like that's scene, definitely seen. But it was like scene hipster because I like wasn't super seen because I didn't have like the raccoon hair and I like didn't. Oh, okay. It was weird. It was like a combo. It was almost seen. Anyway, I I'll allow it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I grew out of it. Thank God. <clears throat> so I had heard about Dear Zachary. It was on Netflix. And I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. Yeah, that's probably not a movie you should watch while you're casually crafting as a 16-year-old. Because I was upset. But then once they were like, oh, by the way, the baby died, I just was inconsolable. Like, I could not stop crying. I was like, fuck this. I, my day was ruined. So, yes. <clears throat> and so naturally... I decided to do a presentation on this and write a paper on it when I took a class on documentary in college because I wasn't really a documentary person. And this was like one of the only documentaries that I'd seen that like really stuck with me. And so I wrote about like emotional manipulation in Dear Zachary and made everyone watch clips and everyone was very upset with me. And that's why Mary Beth got kicked out of college. And then someone did Grizzly Good Man. So that's just as bad. You did? Oh, someone else did Grizzly Man? Someone else did Grizzly Man. I, no, I, I couldn't. you said you did it. No, I just did Dear Zachary. So, so those are oh, my two stories. Oh, just only that Dears, one. Just only that one. Um, and how somehow, despite it being so upsetting to me, I just continue. I, this is my third time seeing it. <laughs> Which is like... She don't love herself. I know. And like somehow I blocked out so much of it. Like... This is so silly, but like I forgot that the dad was dead at the beginning, which is like a huge part of it. I forgot that Zachary was dead. Oh, great. <laughs> Come two halves make a whole. You forgot that Zachary was dead? It's like I remembered, but then it wasn't happening. And like I thought for some reason that oh, happened earlier in the documentary. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I was like, am I thinking of maybe a different documentary? Yeah. But no, I wasn't. It was that one. I forgot how he died. Yeah. Maybe that's more what it was. Like, I forgot what she did. Which is probably for the it's best. It's very it was gruesome. Your... Yeah. So we can get to that. But yeah, I my think brain was protecting itself. Some of, like, the first notes I took about this movie was how this combines this use of home video to, like, paint this image of such a beloved person. And the beloved person here is Dr. Andrew Bagby, who was murdered when he was 28 by his ex-girlfriend. And... You know, it opens with these like super sweet interviews with friends and colleagues who are saying how sweet this guy is. And they just paint this beautiful picture of this really amazing person. And the director, Kurt Kenny, was one of his best friends growing up. So, you know, this is a love letter. Well, not a love letter, but, you know, it is like a very personal documentary. It's not like someone just came in and was using it kind of an analytical lens to tell the story of his trial and of this family but it was it really was it's a love letter to both Andrew Zachary and Andrew's parents who are two of the most phenomenal people I've ever heard about and I think one of the things that was like so For upsetting sure. to me w was this contrast of home video because there's there's these like jarring tonal shifts that shift like his parents are talking about his death and then there's these really sweet photos of him as a baby. And meanwhile, they're like, oh, yeah, like we went to see him in the morgue and telling this awful story about identifying his body. And there's these photos of him as a baby and videos of him as a baby. And it's just so jarring and heart wrenching. Yeah. And I think they did that. A lot of those baby pictures were used so that we could see how similar 
uh, Zachary looked to his father I later know. on. Yeah, because when you see like a uh, those pictures later on, you're like, holy shit, they look exactly alike. Yeah, which must have been even worse for his family. Ugh, I know. Well, and like, what is so unique? I- I'll just preface this by saying I'm not super familiar with documentary. I like documentaries, but like, I'm not like the most well versed in documentary. But this one you know, a lot of filmmakers are detached and I don't mention this like already, but they're detached from the subject. They're trying to provide like a neutral standpoint, but there's no such thing as a neutral documentary, but still like attempting that neutrality. But in this one, like that's out the window. They're just like, no, this is like a very personal project, which I actually kind of like the commitment to it. They're like, nah, like this isn't some objective, like true crime thing. This is actually like an homage to this family. Yeah. So my, one of my first notes was actually about that like that this like dear zachary is sort of a unique take on a true crime documentary especially for 2008 because it does like it focuses less on the horrible details of what exactly uh shirley did to andrew and zachary Mm -hmm. Uh, and it more focuses on the law that allowed that to happen and then also like focuses on Andrew's family after the murder and kind of like what they did to cope and how they took care of Zachary and stuff like that. And I like, it's more focused on the like victim focus, I guess you could say. And yeah, that was unique for back then. That's becoming more prevalent now. Yeah. Like, because I think that documentarians have figured out that you can tell the story of like this horrible murder without the salacious details that kind of Mm -hmm. um that that focus more on the person like the perpetrator or like you know what i mean like it's like yeah not making it seem cool or like we're not interested we're interested in those people only because we're so perplexed by how they could even like come to do something so horrible but in old documentaries, it's like the victims kind of got lost. And now, yeah. like, I think that the style is changing over because more people are like, hey, like, this happened to a person. And that's who matters in this, ultimately. Well, and you so, know? and a lot of documentaries don't really look at the repercussions that go, like, ripple through family and friends, too. Like, it's sometimes like one family member that might be interviewed, right. but this whole thing is looking at, like, how much of an effect Andrew had on the world and his family, but also just like what happens when someone is like so young and so friendly is murdered. Like when anyone is murdered, like it, this is more focused on that rippling effect rather than like looking into the, like you said, the, the gory details, which I think there is a shift happening, but this one is just feels so unique in that regard in terms of uh, that personal touch. I know that there's a couple like Dick Johnson is dead is supposed to be really good too. like a a woman making a documentary about her uh, father who has, I believe dementia. So, so yeah, I think that like you said, it's Mm. a growing trend, which is great. And also fuck, (laughs) I'm going to cry forever. (laughs) Yeah. I, I honestly think that's highly attributable to podcasting because true Mm. crime podcasts are, probably more popular than ever at this point. Yeah. And a lot of the 
a lot of them are now hosted by people who are they try to make sure that everybody knows like look we are not idolizing these horrible people we we want to honor the victims while also telling this story for whatever reason like maybe they you know they're just interested in that or whatever um yeah some people like to hear it to cope with their own experiences in true crime but whatever the case may be a, a lot of them are a lot of the true crime podcasts are now like hey stop fucking focusing on ted bundy he's not that fucking cool and yes he was ugly yeah. okay i'm saying that but like you know what i mean and they're like these are human beings that these things happen to so i i think that that's why a lot of the documentaries are now shifting to that kind of style which i super appreciate because i am interested in true crime but i don't think you know charles manson or ted bundy are fucking cool like at all no i think their brains are interesting but like i'm not like cool man like no like you know what i mean yeah and like i've always had like i've had dumb urges to get like t-shirts and then i was like no ew like why would i spend money to walk around wearing a shirt with like eileen warnos on it like yeah her story is fucked but also she was a serial killer like she was a serial killer (laughs) so this documentary like doesn't try to hide the fact that this is like a very personal piece and that this is made by the family and the friends it's like not trying to be an objective documentary but trying to be an emotional love letter rather than like some kind of true crime straightforward person like making something about the case right Yes. And that is what I liked about this documentary, that it is more victim focused. Um, Should I go more into that? Exactly. Okay. So, yeah, one of my first notes about this documentary is that it is more victim centered. Like it focuses more Mm -hmm. on Andrew, Zachary and his and Andrew's family. Um, rather than on Shirley, like it, it touches on her, but, um, it, it's more about, you know, how Zach, uh, how Andrew's family like coped after his death and, you know, um, like the filmmakers relationship to him and with him. And then like ultimately on Zachary and what happened to him. Um, but without like all of the like gory details like we were talking about before like um and that was like unique for that time like 2008 yeah for sure and you know they don't try so dr shirley turner is the mother of zachary and andrew bagby's murderer and she like they give a little bit of background on her like she's been divorced and has two other kids but they don't really go into like her like how she grew up or like kind of go into those details about her past. They touch on it a little bit at the end when they're saying like she was a rather dangerous person with a history of like manipulation of men, but they again, they don't try to make it about her and like explaining her behavior, but more just like what she did to affect that family. Yeah, and that's that's what I was saying is like it's more prevalent now to make victim focused documentaries um, 
because I think yeah. that a lot of filmmakers have come to the conclusion that like people who are into true crime aren't necessarily into true crime because they find the the perpetrator fascinating or cool or yeah in any way interesting and like just because they went through something doesn't mean that it's okay what they did and i think that that's something like this documentary kind of highlights is like they could have gone into shirley's life and maybe something horrible happened to her and that's why she turned out the way she did but ultimately at the end of the day she did what she did and Mm -hmm. it was wrong and she hurt a lot of people and i like that it did that and i think that it's more like it was unique for that time that's something more that would come out now you know like in 2008 we were still like shirley turner she you know went through stuff and she's a murderer and it's like okay like yeah she killed people and that's not okay like regardless of what she went through yeah exactly like no matter how much explanation you give it doesn't erase the like what she what how like the absolute tragedy that she inflicted on this family and i think like moving into her and like when they when the the grandparents like find out that she is pregnant with andrew's child that's when it really starts getting i think disturbing because it's a very fucked up look at the judicial system. In this case, it's Canada and how she was never really seen as like a criminal. She went to jail a couple times, but in like the descriptions of how the judges and stuff. Yeah. And I know that you had a couple notes about, you know, how this was handled and the kind of what custody battles look like and the handling of custody battles, particularly in this situation. Well, why don't you tell me your thoughts first? I want to hear like your thoughts on custody and everything like that. Do you have experience with that? Yeah. I, I, I like my parents got divorced when I was four and my mom got custody of me, which was a good thing. Um, but I've had relatives who have had a much harder time with custody in terms of just like, you know, the difficulty and there is a, like, it, there's a lot of gender expectation, like ge- there's a lot of gender bias in that because usually the mother mm. is seen as the more nurturing one and the one who will take the best care of the child. Mothers are always assumed to be much more present and much more, you know, caring and compassionate for their children and fathers are often seen as dangerous. I think just in my own experience with custody battles and like kind of seeing how, you know, a lot of times men are perpetrators of domestic violence and of abuse, but there are cases where Mm -hmm. the mother does not have the best interest of the child. But a lot of the time I think courts are biased towards the mother. And I don't think that's misogynistic. I think that's just the truth. And I think that in this case, the court was stacked against the family because one of the judges was just like, very much like fawning over Shirley and because she was pregnant and because she was a mother, despite the fact having all of his evidence that she and a was a murderer, too. they just still, yeah, they still kind of let her get away with it. And I think that is indicative of a problem within the justice system and how we approach custody battles. And also custody battles get nasty. Like this, this was a nasty one, but especially when the kids mm-hmm. are older and like the way that parents can, 
play off of each other. But here it was much more intense and a less like parents battling it out more than and rather like, hey, for the safety of this child, because Shirley Turner was using this baby as a bargaining chip. Yeah, it's so sinister in that way. And it's, it's like so she knew. Sinister. She knew. She was like banking on the government, like s- viewing her as just a pregnant woman, like a mother. And I think that's what I'm, I was trying to get at is like um, she used that gender bias to her advantage. Yeah, she definitely did. And I think that's been her. She's she is represented as extremely, extremely manipulative and how they mentioned she had two kids and how she didn't really care about being a mother. And so that kind of evidence makes you realize that this was not a child she wanted, but it was more like collateral to hold over and continue the misery of this family. Like she had such a hold on them because she had this child and you know she says like there's at one point where she's like she's on the phone with the grandfather and she's like we don't have money for diapers and food and they're like well we're not going to let our grandson go without diapers and food we're going to pay for it so it was like trying to get money out of them and also just like continuing it's almost like she was enjoying their trauma and the only reason I say that is because there's a moment where she's like, well, can you put up photos of me and Andrew around the baby? And they're like, no, we can't. And the way she just like is so sinister in her requests and just in her history of manipulating men, it's hard to believe that she's delusional. And it's more like she seems very calculated in this, the shit that she puts this family through. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. It's that is what is really disturbing. Yes, exactly. In my opinion, like they were, they were so it's like difficult, right? Because it's like they, the government was more interested in, in presuming her innocence, even in the face of like all this evidence. Um, they were more interested in that than they were in like protecting this child and Mm -hmm. the family ultimately you know and that's it's like yes we do need to presume innocence but at the same time i think that there can be like a healthy amount of caution you know taken where like this this was so preventable you know it was so preventable but there's even a moment where the judge, because they want to extradite her to the U.S. to get charged with Andrew's murder, they are in Canada and Newfoundland. And so she fleed there when she was, you know, they were trying to question her. So she, there were a lot of trials trying to extradite her to the U.S. And one of the judges who was, I believe she was female, said, even if she did kill Andrew, it was just one murder and it had like a very specific purpose. And so her murder of a person is written off as like a one-time thing, a premeditated murder. And they completely like this judge completely writes it off as just like a one-time situation that had a very specific goal and she wasn't a danger to society. So it wasn't even like they didn't believe she murdered someone. They're like, yeah, even if she did, like it's fine. Yeah. And, and that again speaks to 
the fact that like women women are viewed as just simply docile and maternal and uh, if if they committed a crime, it had to be because they were so passionate about something, right? And it's like, maybe she was, but it seems pretty calculated. The evidence points towards it being calculated. So why isn't she given that same treatment? Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, yeah, it, like, even if it is targeted, most murders are, you know, they're like mm-hmm. most people who have crimes perpetrated against them, they know the person. So you could argue that most murders are targeted against people. And in that way, it's like, yeah, but we're not just saying that about all murderers. You know, you're, you're saying it because she's pregnant and you don't view her as a threat because she's not actively killing someone in front of you right Mm -hmm. now. If she was like a hulking person, Maybe they would have seen her differently, but because she, you know, played up her meekness and uh, used her like stature and and her physical appearance as like, oh, I'm just this, you know, tiny doctor woman who's pregnant. Let me out of jail. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking yeah. about? Like, you killed someone in cold blood. But like. Even in jail, she tried to stab someone with a fork. Yeah. Like, like there's no moment of redeemability here. And so the one thing I was thinking about while watching this that I don't believe is a detriment to the documentary, but I think it's worth discussing, is the fact that they don't really have much information about the, like, the inside scoop on the relationship between Shirley and Andrew. Like, they don't necessarily have that information and it's you know kurt and their friends don't know much about the inner workings of the relationship and not and no way am i saying like andrew deserved to die at all but i would be curious to hear more about like how they met and the dynamics when they were together before she started like calling and calling and harassing him because but she had that pattern of behavior with men when she was rejected, she would harass them. And so I was just curious about those inner workings and what, you know, that effect had outside of the observations of his friends. So that was just like one thought I had. And again, like, I don't think it would paint her in any kind of sympathetic light. I was just more curious, like, from that standpoint and understanding that whole complicated thing. I think that they lightly touch on it, but very lightly. Like, they met at I believe a party after he had just, he had been uh, dumped by someone. Right. And then this was kind of like his rebound relationship, but then it turned out yeah. like not to be fun anymore, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but besides that, they don't really like, I wish there had been, you know, this is 2008. So they're, they probably, you know, weren't like texting each other very much, but I wish there were, letters or something where we can actually see exactly what Andrew was thinking and exactly what she put him through or even, you know, what he put her through. And I I don't know, like, I mean, they're, they probably were fighting and things like that. I would have been interested to see in both sides of it. Kind of like what you said, it's like, no matter what would have happened, he didn't deserve to be murdered. It's just out of curiosity, just to see exactly what led up to it. I think, 
I agree with you, like would have been better or interesting to see just because it is like a documentary and you're present, you're trying to at least somewhat present both sides. And I don't think this documentary is interested in that, which I think, you know, is established in the get go that this, like, this is not trying to like defend her or like give any like credence to her. It's more just a tribute. And I think that tone is set pretty early and I, I get why they didn't do that. But again, like maybe this is just me liking true crime and wanting more information, but that was just something that was in the back of my head. Yeah, it's just like out of curiosity. I don't think that the lack of it really changes how I feel about the movie either yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think it makes it better or worse, I guess. It would just, you know, pad the movie, like the movie's like thesis overall, you know, a little more. So would it be okay with you if I actually read my note? Yeah, please. Yeah, it's a, it's a, like a paragraph, but... Um, I think it better explains what I was trying to say. Um, it's okay. actually yeah. pretty ironic that I have a podcast because I'm not good at explaining things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so it says, People do not think of women as a threat even when they've done something harmful. In this case, Dr. Shirley Turner murders Dr. Andrew Bagby in cold blood after stalking him. And the judges still let her out on bail because it was a targeted attack. We also see this in cases like sex trafficking where women are used to lure other girls in because we just, as a society, automatically believe women are less of a threat. It can be traced back to the notion that women are physically inferior to men, which is not true mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. Have you ever seen CrossFitters? But anyway, and that women are naturally <laughs> docile and maternal, which is also not necessarily true. Yep. That's, I guess, ultimately what really bothers me, like not about this movie, but that the movie brings up is that she not only was banking on the fact that she is a pregnant woman, um, which society has a very distinct idea and view about, but it's that... You know, these people that we trust to be impartial and unbiased, they played right into her hands. And at the end of the day, she did this horribly, like, preventable murder, like, against a, a baby. And if she had just been treated like uh, every other perpetrator, basically, in history, you know, like every other murderer... That wouldn't have happened, probably. Well, and the other thing about the murder of the baby was she killed herself and the baby as a bargaining chip against another dude who rejected her. Like, she met this man in a bar. His friends Googled her and said she was accused of killing her ex-boyfriend. The guy wanted nothing else to do with mm -hmm. her. She blew up his phone. And then she tried. she was trying to frame him for the murder as she, I think, she, she jumped into the water with Jackery strapped to her chest behind his house and I think put a bloody tampon in his backyard and was trying to frame him for this. So this wasn't like she was upset about the trial or upset about things were going. It wasn't even to spite the grandparents. It was to upset another man who rejected her. Yeah, and that's that makes it even more disturbing. It is, exactly. Like she, again, the baby becomes a bargaining chip in every relationship 
and it leads to the death because she doesn't care. The baby is not like a real thing to her. It's just like a manipulate, like something to use to manipulate. Yeah. It's almost like she, in the way of like, you know, most serial killers, how they have a trophy. It almost seems like she thinks of Zachary as her trophy in the murder against, uh, in the murder of Andrew, you know? Like, she doesn't view yes. him as a child or, like, as a living being at all, really. Yes. She's like, how can I use this to hurt people? And it's like, this is a human being. <laughs> like, this is a child. Well, and the other thing linked to that is when she tells the grandparents that, you know, they finally achieve, like, partial custody where they can have visits. When she's in prison, he goes into their care and when they have these visits or when he goes home to Shirley, she says things to the grandparents, like he's too happy. And when, you know, Zachary was around both her and the grandma, he picked the grandma because the grandma was very maternal and warm. Whereas you can kind of assume from that, that Shirley wasn't really, she was like providing the necessities, but wasn't loving him. Right. And so the fact that she says things like he's too happy and you're poisoning his mind is again disturbing. Like, how dare you? How t- <sighs> how fucking dare you, you evil piece of shit? Like, this is my rage coming out where it's just like, this movie builds and builds and builds to this awful moment of her murdering, her like committing suicide and murdering her son along with it. But it's just like, the listening to the way she speaks and the way she manipulates these grandparents is just so enraging. And it's just repulsive it is repulsive well yeah and it's like i think that she views the parents as an extension of andrew so she thinks by hurting them she's continuing to hurt andrew like i really believe that's probably part of her thought process there so i think that's why she was like and and you know not for nothing she probably viewed zachary the same way so by hurting zachary and his grandparents by like saying you know Zachary's too happy and trying trying to make him less happy, you know. She's just continuing to hurt her ultimate target, if you want to believe, you know, what the courts had to say, uh, which was Andrew. Oh, my God. I just, this movie, it's so hard to talk about this movie because it, it really does evoke very strong emotions. And it's hard to kind of analyze it because all this film does is make you upset and mad. And I cried so much, even the third time seeing it. And it's so hard to discuss this movie from like an academic perspective, just because of like the amount of strong feelings it's able to evoke, which is like, you know, admirable to Kurt Kenny, the director, but Jesus Christ, like I was trying to take notes and all I could do was just write things like, fuck you. And I'm so mad. Like, <laughs> yeah, because you really like can't view it from like an unbiased standpoint because no. like it touches on the, the thing that most people would consider one of the worst acts that you can do, which is kill something innocent, kill a, an innocent human being. Yep. And it's and it's so preventable that it just makes it even worse. And that exactly like that the aspect of this being a preventable death and the number of people who are complicit in that death that were like high ranking officials. It's just baffling. Yeah. And then it makes you think about how else this has like 
affected families. And I know at the end, the grandparents did a lot to enact change to protect, like protect children from this kind of violence. But I mean, you can't help but think about like, how, like how many other children have been affected by this at the hands of both father or mother, like at hands of parents in general, and like how many children have been absolutely fucked by this kinds of legal proceedings. And that in itself is heartbreaking because they wouldn't have to make a bill if that wasn't an issue. You know what I mean? Like, this is not a one-time occurrence. Yeah. Th- this movie actually reminded me of two different cases. So the first one is closer to like what you're talking about. Did you watch that documentary um, about that little boy? I believe his name is Gabriel Fernandez. I think it was on Netflix. Did you watch that like last year? Oh my God, did I? You Fuck. may have repressed it. It sounds very familiar. No, I didn't watch it because I knew what it was about. And I was like, I don't, I don't think... Yeah. I was like not mentally ready to watch that documentary, it was but I horrible. do remember like yes. excruciating. Like it, it was very well done, but yeah, it's, it's so heartbreaking in a, in such a similar way. And I think the only reason it wasn't considered like more disturbing is because it was like a mini series. So you could break it up better, mm-hmm. but um, hold on one second. Yeah. But yeah, it's like similar in that way, like where this little boy Gabriel, he was abused and tortured by his mother and her boyfriend over a period of however long he he was, he was, how old was he? I want to say he was eight. Yeah, he was eight. I have it pulled up. Yeah. So in his very short life over uh, the course of a few years, like they would, they would abuse him and torture him. And ultimately he ended up dying at their hands and he he fell through the cracks of the system similarly to zachary where it's like you know he all these people they were doing the bare minimum or they they thought of their jobs as like a cog in a machine where what they do maybe doesn't ultimately matter because it's like a bigger picture do you know what i mean it's like yeah that was senseless and preventable as well and if people in power had just done their jobs and thought of him as more than just another case, like a case file, this is a little kid, he might be alive today. Yeah. And looking at this, I mean, it's a Wikipedia page, take it with a grain of salt, but four social workers were criminally charged and they didn't like remove him from the home despite a bunch of, you know, evidence. He wasn't removed from the home. Yeah. It's like evidence and like, multiple run-ins you know and it's like for what like you couldn't you you couldn't do that thing why like you couldn't put in that extra five minutes of work why you know yeah and i mean i i don't work in social services and i know that the caseloads are crazy but like in this regard of course in this regard specifically but also leads to a whole other like discussion about systemic issues in social services and how it's like criminally underfunded and mm-hmm. doesn't really help. Yeah, that victims. definitely plays a part in it too. Yeah, I don't want to you know minimize that struggle because yeah, I'm sure it is really difficult and like I'm sure it's really difficult to even get your job done because of a lack of resources. But then on top of it, it's probably difficult to get your job done because it's so much terrible shit all the time. 
you, that your brain can only take so much stuff. Of course, you're going to get burnt out. But at the same time, that is your job. And if you can visibly see that a little kid is in danger, it is your job to put in that yeah. extra work and make sure that little kid gets out of that danger. Exactly. The other Jesus case, Christ. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I know. just like my heart. It's horrible. But the other case it made me think of, and it was it was less about Zachary and more about Shirley, was the case of um, Carla Homoka and Paul Bernardo. Do you know who they are? I do not. So, this was also a Canadian case. Gabriel Fernandez. That happened in uh, California, but this case that I'm gonna kind of touch on was also in Canada, which I think is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Basically. Um, Carla Homoka and Paul Bernardo, they kidnapped, uh, drugged, raped, tortured, and murdered uh, at least three people on camera. And Carla was only given 12 years in prison, but Paul Bernardo was given life in prison, and he's still there right now. And basically how that happened is that they didn't have a strong enough case against Bernardo for I guess and they needed Carla to testify so basically she was like given a deal where if she testified against Bernardo she would be given a shorter sentence and I feel like you know 12 years that's four years per dead body you know what I mean um that's not enough but that's just my opinion any in any case it was it was sort of framed that carla like fell victim to this predatory man and i think that was probably really easy for people an easy story for people to digest because it supports the theory that like women can't be monsters right like but there was so much evidence to the contrary like there was video evidence of her participating and enjoying it and maybe she was groomed, maybe she wasn't. The evidence kind of points to the fact that she probably wasn't, right? And yeah. and I I guess I guess it made me think of that because it's sort of what I was saying before, right? Like I think that if we're gonna get rid of sexism, we have to accept that women can also be monsters. You know, women yes. aren't just necessarily like these maternal, like docile people, and maybe they are cool, but like Women can also be fucked up people. Women can make mistakes. Women can be monsters. And I think to suggest otherwise, to make women always seem saintly, is sort yeah. of like infantilizing. It is. Also, I did listen to the last podcast on the left about this case. And again, I think I just blocked it out. And looking it up, actually, she was only convicted of manslaughter following yes. that plea bargain yes and it's like manslaughter like i i'm maybe i'm i'm wrong and i probably should know my best friend is a lawyer but <laughs> like to me like i was always taught that manslaughter implies it was an accident yes but there that's is exactly, video evidence yeah. that it was not an accident and and not for nothing the first victim was her sister yes it was her sister and it was these were all Teenagers, too. Like, underage women. Yes. Girls. Girls, yeah. They were girls. Yeah. <sighs> it's it's really disturbing. And that's why it sort of reminded, like, this documentary reminded me of that case in a way. Um, not just because they're both Canadian, but because I feel like both, you know, 
Shirley Turner and Carla Homoka basically were given the benefit of the doubt because they are women, because they were seen as not a threat, when that's just not the case. There was so much evidence that they were dangerous and they were a threat. This also leads to like another, I, like another, I mean, this is not necessarily related to Dear Zachary, but the idea that women can't sexually assault people. Yes. And how that's ignored a lot. And yes. I think that we have to stop. Like I, women much like proportionally are more likely to be assaulted, but yes. we also can't remove the fact that women are capable of sexual assault from the discussion. Like, I know it's uncomfortable, but we can't dismiss that. We can't pretend like women are not, like you said, women are not capable of these monstrous actions. And, you know, women can rape men and women can rape other women. And especially in this case of Homolka, like, mm -hmm. you know, in queer relationships, a woman can be raped by a woman. And it's hard to talk about. And I'm, it's like making me choke up thinking about just like how difficult it is to discuss, but it happens. And not having that dialogue around survivors and is just detrimental to having survivors, you know, heal from that trauma even more so. Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, wow. This episode like <laughs> is like hitting me in the chest. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I would kind of like to talk about that for a second if it's okay yeah oh yeah 100 percent. i think and you know I, I don't mind if you do or don't keep this in but when i was talking to you about um how the discourse surrounding promising young women like really triggered me um it was for sort of the reason you just said it's like you know these movies come out right and we're gonna talk about a lot of them they come out and the violence in the movies are against women or is against women, I guess. That's like how societally we view sexual assault. A man does this to a woman. And a lot of the discourse afterwards is always, well, I don't want to hear what men have to say. While I understand that, because like you said, you know, women are more likely to be assaulted by men rather than the other way around. It's like, mm -hmm. it's also discounting the experiences of men who were sexually assaulted and have nowhere to talk about this because we don't see it in media. We mm -hmm. do ignore it in society. And when you're straight up told, well, your experience doesn't matter because you're a man, that that can be really difficult to you know take in because it's like, I, I don't want to get too personal, I guess, but... I mean, if you want to, you should. But if you don't want to, please don't. It's just I haven't I haven't really talked to anybody about this ever. But, you know, I have sort of an, an experience with this. And it's difficult, and especially as a trans man. Because when people say that, they're not saying, we don't want to hear what cisgender heterosexual men have to say on this topic because it doesn't happen to them, which isn't true. But I assume that's what they mean. They're yeah. saying, I don't want to no men, no men. So that includes people who are highly targeted, who are men like trans men or yeah. even like non-binary trans masculine people, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that can be really detrimental. And I hope that everybody who has that sort of experience can 
you know, come together and have space to talk about it. I understand wanting to have a space where it's people who weren't victim or like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I understand yeah. wanting that space, but I think that excluding an entire gender of people really discounts the fact that this does happen to those people and they don't have anywhere else to talk about it because we are so used to, I, I guess, like pushing that under the rug. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, again, sexism, right? It's like mm -hmm. not against men, but it's sexism against women because, again, well, it's like, well, they could never do this. Yeah. Well, also, it's just like the whole toxic masculinity exactly. issue and patriarchal control where it's like men can't be raped. Like m women are weaker than men. So exactly. like, that couldn't happen to a man. And it's equating the weakness. And it's like it's not about being weak or not. No. And also, like, it's not even talked about in like queer women, like w a relationship with two women. Like that's never really talked about either. At least, like, I have not seen a lot of that conversation. And there was one article I read uh, from a, a male survivor of sexual assault about promising young woman, which was awesome, but it was only one. And, like, that, you know, that one article is important. But, like, you know, hopefully that's going to break some boundaries in terms of, like, more nuanced approaches to the rape-revenge genre and, you know, acknowledging that more than one group of people assumed group of people can talk about it it's it's all i and i wonder if the stigmatization of assault against men played into that like why why are so many people of like so many men or i guess non-cisgender women afraid to talk about that subject i think part of it is probably because i in my experience, I, I think part of it is because of um, how quick people are not to entirely read something, like take, you know, words out of context. And maybe, mm -hmm. you know, I, I personally, I wouldn't even want to deal with that. Like, I, I wouldn't want to deal with people taking what I said out of context and kind of twisting my words, using it against me and calling me problematic or misogynistic or whatever. Mm -hmm. when, because again, what will we be talking about? We would be talking about possibly a woman, you know, perpetrating a crime against a man. You know, I wonder if that's part of mm -hmm. it. I mean, for me, it definitely is part of it. I don't yeah. know that that would happen for sure. Maybe I would put something out and it would be welcome like uh received with like open arms you know but it's really difficult to know it's difficult to navigate and i don't yeah. want to make this all like oh what about men because i i don't feel that way but i think there does need to be space for everybody to talk about their experiences with this like truly horrible horrible like the worst thing you could do to somebody you know yeah. and and when you're saying like i don't want to hear your experience because xyz it's like well then fuck like you're saying that we need to be open to men talking about these things but you're not letting men talk about these things and that's why Twitter is a bad place to have these conversations. For sure. <laughs> There's like no room for nuance. There's no room for discussion. I think like we're having this discussion and I think this is the kind of like avenue for having like talking about this stuff. I think Twitter is not the place. I don't think Twitter 
like you said, things get taken out of context, things, there's no nuance. It's just like so many of these discussions are happening on a website that is absolutely non-conducive and even harmful to these kinds of topics. I mean, I'll be honest, like I'm even scared to talk about this right now. Like, I'm scared to talk about it on this podcast. Um, yeah. And that that was brought up when I was watching this movie, because I'm like, I mean, e- even in just us recording this, how many times have I said, oh, I might want to reword that, you know? Yeah. Because I'm I'm afraid that people are going to, you know, take something I said out of context and try to paint me in a light where I don't think that's accurate. And I don't think you would think that's accurate either. Like, no, you're my friend not. and you know me. Yeah. Well, and also, like, this is a, this is like an in-depth conversation. Like, I mean, if someone has a disagreement, we'd like to hear it, but like in a kind way, not like an attacking kind of way. But I also think that, like, just respect our opinions and understand this is coming from a place of like questioning and people who have some life experience, some pretty intense life experience. And I think, you know, it shouldn't be dismissed as misogyny or sexism i think it needs to be considered i think this is an important conversation me too and it's just it's just about you know we're bringing our experiences to this topic yeah you know and maybe it's not in line with what people think that experience should look like in their head and i don't think that that like you said i don't want it to be dismissed in that way yeah exactly um i have like never talked about that like at all are you okay yeah i'm fine like we didn't go into it and like i maybe at some point i will because like i'm i turned out to be okay like that person was not like successful like completely if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so like i'm okay it's just i my heart really goes out to you know, the people that I know for a fact want to be part of the conversation and they are afraid to be. And especially yep. for queer men or like gender nonconforming people, it's so difficult because it's it's like, yeah, there's like no space at the table at the moment. No, 100%. I And I've had conversations with male survivors of sexual assault that were both assaulted by men and by women. And they're like, yeah, I don't say shit. Yeah. And, like, I understand, like, also, like, you're not obligated to talk about it, but also if you feel like you can't talk, that's, there's, like, one, it's, like, there's a difference between not wanting to share it because of personal reasons and not sharing it because you feel like you're not allowed to. And, you know, I, that's fucked up. That's all, like, I don't know, like, yeah, to put there's it bluntly, not much it's else up. to say, yeah. Yeah. It is fucked up. I guess that's what I'm speaking to. I mean, yeah. that discourse, like, triggered me in another way, too. And, like, I would be willing to talk to you about that. But, yeah, just, like, I guess this... It's funny because we thought this episode would be so short. <laughs> and, and now we're just, like, spiraling. In a good way, though. I mean, like, I think this is why this podcast exists. And I think this, like, this conversation gets to why we wanted to do this podcast. And, like, really, you know, this isn't necessarily... There's no sexual assault in Dear Zachary, but it opens up that conversation, like, about the court cases you brought up. Like, I think these films bring up a lot of important conversations that are difficult to have. And like, you know, we might make mistakes in those conversations, but you know, we're having the conversation and doing the best we can to do the subject justice. I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we'll make mistakes because I think we're perfect people. That's true. But 
you never know. One day. One day. There is a bright light at the end of this very, very bleak tunnel that this fucking movie puts us through. What's the light? Okay, so the the bright light at the end of that very bleak tunnel is that Zachary's grandparents, who I believe are named David and Kate, right? They are, yeah. Um, Just the loveliest kind. Don't you want them to be your grandparent? Yes. Grandparents? I do. No, just the one grandparent. Just a single entity. <laughs> like in like Colorado space, they like could join. Look at you. <laughs> I'd be like, get away from me, grandma. Um, but uh, they got Zachary's bill uh, passed into law, and basically Zachary's bill refuses bail to people who are charged with very dangerous crimes when it's necessary to protect the general public, but especially children. That sounds right, because it was all like because. Sh- Shirley had like a $75,000 bail, but they also didn't have to pay it. And it was some weird shit where she got out without bail and that kind of spurred everything. And so these grand, these grandparents who have gone through so much horrific trauma are like channel that grief into something so good. And it's, it's heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time, but there was good that came out of it. I mean, horrific, but I'm glad that, you know, Something positive came out of the absolute shit show that was this whole story. Yeah, just the just the bare minimum positive. Bare minimum. Like, why was that not already in effect? <laughs> like, are you fucking serious? Yeah, Isn't that really the point abs- of bail? Am I wrong? Oh, no, bail is just to keep poor people in prison. Yeah. Come on. So sorry. <laughs> Get it together. Come on now. Sorry. <sighs> to keep poor people of color. <laughs> yes. So on that note... Now I'm mad. Yeah, so am I. Um, <laughs> do we want to wrap up? Yeah, I gotta go. Emotionally. <laughs> yeah, like go. emotionally. I need to check out. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. Well, do episode. you recommend it? Um, Not to parents. I don't think parents should watch this. It will throw you... Just because I know so many people who are parents and like they can, they have a hard time watching fiction films that involve any violence against kids, Like this will just push you over the edge. Like Don't watch this if you have children. I thought you were like hiding a child from me. I was like, are you a parent now? Like, what? No, oh, absolutely not. Um, I just know a lot of people who are parents who have a very hard time with that stuff. So I'm like, this is just going to fucking like ruin your entire life. Uh, It's like, I want to recommend it to people who are not parents, but it's just like, it's so heart wrenching. It's like, it might not be worth it. You know what I mean? You got to be in a very special mood. Like make sure you're really happy and (laughs) like, don't watch it when you're really happy so that you can just come right down back to earth. Well, at least you're not going to be already depressed. That is very true. That's my recommendation. Watch this like when you're in a when you're not in a bad place. At least don't watch oh, this when you're in a bad I place. I think that goes for all of these movies we're going to talk <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And I say this from experience because I have watched these things on dark places, and it's not really good for you. So, yeah. But would you recommend it, Dax? I would. I I would. I will okay. say this. I don't think it's a flawless documentary. Like, I yeah. do have some problems with its execution. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. like, I think when Kenny is, like, flying through the details, you know, in that, like, really, f- like, fast, like, voice he puts on. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's, like, yes. almost too fast where I I had to rewind it because I thought I was missing some things that he was saying because he was mm-hmm. talking, like, way too fast. Yeah. And uh, so... I feel like maybe subtitles would be good for that. But, like, that was just, like, one problem I had with it. Overall, though, I do think it's well done. I think 
it achieves its goal of making you give a shit about you know the legal system generally but especially this case and uh the bill that they were trying to get passed into law at the time mm-hmm. for zachary yeah I think that was ultimately what they set out to do, and I think they achieved it. Did they, you know, use my emotions against me to do so? Yeah, but I think most documentaries probably do that. Yeah. Yeah, so I I would recommend it, I think. But just know that it is very sad. I was okay on the second watch. Like, the first time I saw it back in, like, 2010, I was very upset. Um, I don't know if I cried, but I probably got close to it. Mm-hmm. This time I didn't cry. Um, I got a little teary eyed, but it was actually not at the time that you would think. It was when, towards the end of the movie, you know, Kurt Kenny is basically talking about the grandparents and how they were kind of left in the lurch. Basically, like, yeah. you know, they lost everything and they gave up everything to do good. But because I we didn't even talk about it, but they are so sad, like the whole movie. Yeah. And they're so angry. And, you know, you totally get it when you're watching it. But there's a part that I think is often overlooked where they're talking about how they just wanted to die. Like they just wanted to commit suicide. And David is talking about how he wanted to murder Shirley and then just come back. And I, I think at that point, I can't remember because I didn't make a note of it for some reason, but um, he said that after that, they would just like kill themselves. It was, it was either the suicide plan or he would wait until Kate was asleep and he would go do it. And then, that way he would go to prison, but then she wouldn't go to prison. Right, because she, she could didn't get the baby. Know. Yeah. And that was like so jarring to me and so upsetting. So um, at the end when Kenny is basically wrapping up and saying like, look, you guys are going to watch this and just know that you have so many people who love and care about you still. And we know we can't replace these two people who are so important and integral to your life. But we love you and care about you and want you to stay and do good. Um, that really got me. I didn't cry, but almost. I cried the whole time. Third time seeing it. Sniffling. <laughs> I felt so bad when you were texting me about it. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I cry. I also cry very easily, but like tears were like coming down my chin. But yeah, it's really upsetting, especially if you are like highly sensitive, like you're probably going to cry and that's fine. Yes. Just know that going into it. But yeah, other than that, like, or not other than that, but basically because of that, I would recommend it. I think it's pretty well done. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> um, so that does it. Sure For does. another episode of Watch Once, Never Again. Yeah, I have um, a feeling you really are never going to watch this again. Yeah, me? Nah, I don't think so. I have no need to watch this again. I've watched it three times. I think that is three times. That's, that's two too times many too times. many times. That's too, too many two times. times too many. Yeah, listeners, thank you for listening to that. We appreciate you for making it through. Make sure <laughs> feel so <Fuck>. dumb. <laughs> Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter. On the Twitter. You, yeah. Well, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at MB McGandres. And I'm at Daxy Bobbin. That's at D A X E B A 
B-E-N. Um, and of course, make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Wona Podcast. That is at W-O-N-A Podcast. Um, please make sure to subscribe and leave a nice comment for us, a nice review. It means the world to us. And then we can keep bringing you really upsetting, deep episodes like this one. Yeah, and if you want to yell at me for any reason, for any of the things that I said, you can email us. And that's at wonapodcast at gmail.com. So, once again, thanks for listening, everybody. Try to stay happy. Do your best. <laughs>